Hi, everybody. How are you? Oh, thank you, Harry. Appreciate that. Give it up for music stands, guys. Listen, I don't know you, you don't know me, but we're going to get to know each other this week. Sound good? Where are you from? Where are you guys from? Hold on. Time out. Time out. We'll start over in this quadrant. Where are you guys from? I'm old. The USA, baby. Uh, I heard Sacramento. Cool. That's a nod like I can't hear you, but I'm going to pretend I can. What about right here? Awesome. Love it. What about right here? Oh, perfect. What about you guys? Yeah, Australia. Even better. Well, and then what are your names? Uh, one, two, three. Tell me your names. Is your name really Corey? Congratulations. How do you spell it? That's the girl way. Uh, C-O-R-Y is how I spell mine. Um, but anyways, like I said, my name's Corey. I, um, I'm just so excited to get to teach the Bible to you guys this week. Hopefully you're looking forward to that or at the very least knew that's what's happening. When you went to summer camp, we're going to open the Bible. If you got one, take it out and hold it up for me. Let's see them, okay? If you don't have a Bible... I know Hume, uh, as I've been around this beautiful organization for the last like 20 years, I know that they would love to give you one, okay? So if you showed up, maybe you forgot it, maybe you just don't have one, maybe this whole setting is new for you, I want you to know that from your counselor, your lead counselor, just the people sitting back by the door, 100% can get you a Bible. Uh, probably the best time would be at the end of tonight if you don't have one. Sound good? Okay, and, and here's a couple things that uh, I want you to know about me. I have been married to my uh, incredible wife for 15 years this year. Yep. We, we met up here at Hume Lake. Uh-huh. Now, before, before you junior high boys let your minds wander and you're like, she will be mine. I, I was a lot older than you are right now, okay? It took a little time. Uh, and then uh, I have four kids. Um, I have four kids. My oldest will start high school uh, this fall. And uh, his name's Mason. And then I got a daughter. And then I got a son. And then I got another daughter. Now, they're here, but not like here, in here right now. You'll meet them at some point. But I know the thing that you guys probably want to know the most about me is that, yes, I do have two dogs. And yes, they are French bulldogs, okay? And so... They're the best. Uh, Chance we got during the pandemic, and so he's awful and was never socialized. Uh, and then Ozzy is my best friend. Ozzy is my best buddy. He's my homie. He's my pal. Uh, he is the greatest thing God ever made. So he's like, as far as animals go, he's the best. I'll show you a picture at some point this week. Um, I love camp. I got saved up here at Hume, uh, summer of 2005. That's Christianese for I started following Jesus while I was, uh, when I was in high school up here. And then I, uh, I worked here for a number of years, raised my kids here, and then now I live down in Southern California in a town, in a town called Rancho Cucamonga. It's a real place, so yeah, pretty cool. Um, listen, that's enough about me. I have one job this week and one job only. And it's to use the 25 to 35 minutes that I'm going to get up here every night 
to open up God's word to tell you this. And I'm going to say this really bold. And I'm going to say this in a way that maybe some of you who believe the same things get excited. I'm going to say this in a way that some of you have questions go, you know what, maybe it's time to ask these questions. I'm going to say this that maybe some of you who disagree get upset with me, okay? But I have one goal this week. The goal that I have this week with this time on stage is to let you as a middle school student know or to let you as a counselor or to let you as a youth pastor or to let you as someone who works up here at Hume that's putting this whole thing on to let you know that there is a God and he loves you deeply and the fullest expression of his love is the offering of his son Jesus to repair a broken relationship with him. If you learn nothing else this week, if you have questions about anything that is said that you read, incredible, but if you wrestle with one truth this week, my hope and my prayer and the thing that makes this tired old heart beat is that I want you to know that there is a God and he loves you. That, that all of this doesn't just exist, right? Like, like the Hume staff didn't just come into this chapel and go, oh man, this is perfect. There's a ship and there's a forest and there's already trash up here. And, and we're telling the story of Daniel, which is like a, a, a time where people are marooned or exiled in a place that they weren't supposed to. Let's just use this. It's perfect. No, someone crafted this. A team took weeks to build this. They, they very meticulously put all of the details on these trees and hung these vines and stapled these cans in here and painted that boat and, and strung up lights in those clouds. There's a team that did this, right? Like walking in here should show you that there's a creator, that this didn't just happen by accident. Hold your hand out in front of you. The same thing is true of you. You are not an accident. You are deeply loved by the same God who created the heavens and the earth. You are someone that he knows, that he loves, and that God's word tells us he has a plan for. And the deepest part of God's plan for your life is that you would be with him. That you as a middle school student would either continue or begin this week to walk in relationship with God because that's the way that life was meant to be lived. In the same way, you would never assume that this just happened by accident. Friend, you didn't happen by accident. And so no matter what this world, no matter what this culture, no matter what your friends, and no matter what your mind is telling you, you have value, worth, and love because God made you. Sound good? What we're going to do... What we're going to do this week is we're going to look at a character in the Old Testament, the character of? Yeah. And the word character kind of implies like in a movie, that's a character. It's not a real person. Daniel was absolutely a real person. In fact, Daniel existed 2,600-ish years ago. Like Daniel was a real guy. And the way that the Bible talks about Daniel, it's telling us about a person who had bones and skin and a beard and hands and feet and arms and legs and a voice. This was a real person from history. And as we unpack the story of Daniel and his friends, and we'll get introduced to all these characters over the next couple days, okay? But, but, but the thing that makes Daniel special is that Daniel knew that truth about himself, 
Daniel knew that he was loved by God. Daniel knew that he was chosen by God. And Daniel knew that his worth and his purpose was found in him knowing who he is in light of who God was. And everything that we're going to read in these six chapters in the book of Daniel is going to just continue to express those truths to you. Sound good? So open up to Daniel chapter one. I'm going to give you a few minutes to get there. Never be shy to go to that little table of uh, contents in the front of your Bible and find it. There ain't no shame in that at all. When you have it, I want you to hold your Bible up like Simba and say, ha, Sylvania, when you have it though, when you have it. Perfect. I like the person with the cell phone. Got it. Uh, Come on, hold, I didn't say put it down, hold it up. The Bible says God's word's a lamp unto my feet, hold it up, let's go. Here we go. All right. Now, perfect. I'm not hearing enough Lion King noises in here, let's go. All right. Okay. We good? All right. All right, and a hush, a hush falls over the crowd. Look at that, all right? Now, if you don't have one or can't find it, I'll read slow. It's okay tonight. I'm going to read these words to you. But at some point between tonight and when you go to bed, I want you to find a leaf or a piece of paper or, a, or something and just bookmark. Mine has these two little ribbons that work perfectly just to bookmark Daniel. I want you guys to do that. Sound good? Can you do that? All right, we're just going to read the first eight verses to get introduced to what's happening here, okay? All right. It says this. I'm reading from a, a version called the NIV, okay? So if yours seems a little different, it could just be that you have a different translation. Also, sometimes I say words weird, so it could be that too, but we're going to find out right now, okay? Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Then he carried off the temple of his God. In, he carried them off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The king ordered Asphanes... Told you, I say words weird sometimes. Uh, chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He's basically describing me right there, okay? It says he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were, to, they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were uh, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mish to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for these verses that uh, right now are, are probably either serving as a reminder to something we've studied. Maybe even as I pray, we're trying to recall the sermon series we did at youth group or the time maybe some of these youth pastors taught this passage. Maybe this is all brand new to some of us here tonight. But God, one of the truths that we learn from your word is that your spirit is at work helping us to learn more about you. And so tonight, God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be revealing to us truths of you as we unpack these passages. Would you bring clarity to our minds? Would you bring our, our tired brains and, and squirmy bodies because we've been on buses all day and then sitting in this hot chapel for the last hour and a half? Would you just give us the ability for the next 20 minutes, Lord, to focus, to set the table for some of the most important conversations that we'll have this week as we learn about you and how much you love us and what it is you did to express that love to us and how you offered an opportunity for us to know you as a result of your love. We love you so much, God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, where are the sixth graders at? Sixth graders, yeah? That's a lot of sixth graders. All right, so, I know this may, uh, hold on. Sixth graders, they'll, hey, they'll figure it out, right? They'll figure it out. Uh, here's the deal with sixth grade. Sixth grade was one of the, you can put your hands down, sixth graders. That's one of the things you'll learn in junior high is if someone says put your hand up, you can just put it back down. You don't have to keep it up. I think they'll go over that this year, but it's all good, okay? So one of the things that I learned in sixth grade is that I uh, have no idea how to dress myself, okay? So in fifth grade, I went to a private school. Anyone else here go to private school? Yeah? Does your private school have uniforms? No. Who goes to a private school that has uniforms? Right here in the blue. What's your name? McKenna. McKenna. Describe for me, and I'll tell it to the crowd. The uni you guys put your hands down again, again as you just put it right back down. Uh, tell me about the uniforms that you have to wear at school. So, um, we wear a shirt. Wears a shirt. Has a badge on it. Has a badge on it. And like a patch? Yeah. Love patches. Yeah. Okay, what about, what about like pants or a skirt or shorts? That's free dress. That's free dress. So what do you, what's part of your uniform? Like what do you have to wear with your uniform? Um, shirt, so you don't have to wear pants to school. <laughs> like do you, do you wear like khaki pants or, or like? Okay, there's rules about pants. I'm going to assume that you wear pants to school. They're just probably a part of the uniform. Fair? Is that fair? Yeah? When I was in fifth grade... I went to private school for one year, and to some of you this will make sense, and to some of you it won't, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Like, church was not a part of our family unless someone died, or it was like Christmas or Easter occasionally. And so for this one year, my parents sent me to a private school, and it was a very small private school, and it was like everything was about God, and that made no sense to me. I had no context for that. And we would like sing songs. And then the guy would like do these teachings and then like I had a Bible class and I just was like, this is cool. Like this is like an option. Like this is like something people know about. But the one thing that stood out to me, aside from the fact that God was already laying a foundation for faith in my life in fifth grade that didn't come back till I was in high school. The one thing that stood out to me is I thought that those uniforms that we had to wear were like the dopest thing ever right? Because I don't really know how to dress myself. Like, I'm probably going to wear this all week. 
And so in, in fifth grade, it was cool because I had a red and I had a blue and I had a black collared shirt with the patch, right? And then we had khaki shorts or pants. So like getting up and getting dressed for school, easiest thing ever. Like pull the khakis, that's a clean shirt. I'm fresh, let's go to school. And some of you like to use a term that, that your generation would, would understand, maybe you use this, like some of you got that drip. You know what I mean? Like some of you know how to dress. Yeah, I, I don't. Like I don't have that. Uh, my wife is constantly like, that doesn't go together and you're gonna be in front of people, you might wanna go try harder. And I'm like, literally this was me trying really hard. Like I, this was a conscious decision. I promise I put effort into this. And she's like, I'm so glad you're here. Let's go find you a new outfit. So here's what happened, and, and the reason I share this story is after fifth grade, I went to public school for middle school, okay? Hold on, you guys are getting way, now I'm worried that the punchline of this story is not going to be good, okay? So, so we go, and my mom says, hey, I'm going to take you back to school shopping. Now, one of the things that happens in between fifth and sixth grade, some of you know because you've experienced this, is you start to get taller. You start to get a little more stretched out. Some of you guys might get a little, little dirt patch above your lip. You know, a little mustache starts coming in. Well, this, this process was starting for me. And so my mom tried to take me back to school shopping because I'm going to public school. I don't have to wear uniforms anymore. And I'm going, Mom, I'm so cool with the uniforms. Like, the uniforms are awesome. And she's like, okay, sounds good. Awful parenting, by the way. So I show up for my first day of public school, big old school in Orange County, Newhart Middle School. Shout out to the Panthers, okay? And I show up for my first day. And I am wearing khaki shorts that are too small and a red collared shirt that is too tight and like Converse. And that's what I have. And all day long, I got this look from people that I had hoped would become my friends. <laughs> now, there's something happening today in fashion where it's like cool to wear short shorts in the 90s. That was not cool. And so my kneecap was below my shorts. I'm getting teased and heckled all day. I remember getting home from my first day of middle school and my mom saying how it went. And I said, this is awful. They hated my clothes. And she's like, I thought you'd say that. Let's go buy like normal clothes. And so I got rid of the uniforms at that point in time. But what I experienced that day is something that I'm sure every single human in this room has experienced. And it was the feeling of being an outcast. It was the feeling of being on the outside of what was happening with every other kid at my school. Can you relate to that? Show me your hand. Like every single one of us has had a moment in time where we just feel like we don't fit in, where we feel like everyone's out to get us, where we feel like things are just not happening for us. That's precisely What's going on in these first couple verses in the book of Daniel? Let's look back at it. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The term besieged means pummeled, destroyed, completely leveled, and then took over. Like, I'm a diehard Lakers fan. Besieged is like what the Nuggets did to the Lakers. Like, it was... Listen... Hey, hey, it was awful. It was 0-4. I get it. Pull out the brooms. That's, that's what Babylon does 
to Judah, to Israel. Babylon comes in, takes it over, okay? And to make things worse, in verse 2, we see that, that Judah doesn't just get its behind kicked by Babylon, but now they're enslaved by Babylon. And now the things that are most sacred to them, now the things that make up the entirety of their culture, the places they worship, the relics that represented things that God had done in their lineage to their forefathers are now taken and put into a, a temple of a God that doesn't even exist. Like, like this is a tail kicking so bad that, that we can't even comprehend it. This would be like another country coming into America, leveling our army, taking the White House, taking the Declaration of Independence, taking all of the artifacts that represent American history and just putting it in a museum and then enslaving us. The, the, the place that it goes different, though, and this is what one of the differences is, is that for, for an Israeli, for someone that lives in Judah, they're Faith is as much a part of their nationality. The two are one for them. This is God's chosen people. This is the group of people that, that if you've read through the beginning pages of Scripture, that it goes all the way back to Abraham. Like the promise of Abraham is that God would make your descendants like sand on a beach or stars in a sky. This is Moses in the book of Exodus leading Israel out of Egypt. Like this is, this is God's people and they get completely destroyed. And so now what we have are God's people finding themselves in a place that I would call exile. God's people are not at home anymore. God's people are not in a comfortable place anymore. God's people are not in a familiar surrounding. God's people now find themselves removed from what would be any shred of normal in their lives. Now, the reason I want to highlight this part of the story is because we're going to be introduced over the next couple of days to one of God's people named Daniel. And given all of those circumstances, given everything that I just described to you, Daniel remains faithful to God. Right, like, like given the fact that he's been ripped from his home, given the fact that he's been forced into a new job, given the fact that Daniel, as a young man, probably had ambitions, probably had career hopes, probably had dreams, things that he wanted to accomplish with his life, Daniel now finds himself without any of that because Babylon has taken over. Daniel finds himself in exile. Let me ask this to the Christians in the room. Have you ever felt out of place? Yes. To those of you, and, and, and uh, we'll, we'll keep this rhetorical. You don't have to tell me. You can give me a head nod if you want. But, but to those of you in this room who follow Jesus, can you relate to that? Now, I realize that like, as, as Christians, like, of course, you're at camp this week, but like, you have a home. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most, if not all of us, have a home. Most, if not all of us, have some belonging that means a lot to us. If it's a baseball that you hit over the fence when you played Little League, if it's a pair of ice skates that just mean the world to you, if it's a PS5, whatever it is, right? Like all of us have things that mean a lot to us. And so I don't necessarily mean in the physical sense, but I kind of do. I'm more implying in the spiritual sense. We very much live in a world as have Christians for hundreds and thousands of years, we live in a world that exists 
just like the exile that Daniel is experiencing. The Bible teaches us in the book of Genesis chapter 1 that it is God who spoke everything that you and I can see, know, experience, taste, touch, all of it into existence. Like this God says, let there be, and there is. And then it tells us in Genesis 1, 26, that, that there's a moment in time where God takes a knee and he, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, let us make them. And so out of the dust of the earth, God begins to form mankind, our ancestors. And the, the Bible tells us in this beautiful poetic language in the book of Genesis chapter 1, that God takes a deep breath and <sighs> breathes his Ruach is the Hebrew word. He breathes life into this dust. And as he breathes life into this dust, we have first man. The Bible refers to him as Adam. God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and so he creates from Adam Eve. And humankind existed in its, in its most basic, most primitive form together within the context of community but also with God in an environment that God was in control of and in an environment that God had designed. By Genesis 3, and we'll unpack some of these things more this week, we see that mankind had sinned, that mankind had brought evil, had brought darkness onto the earth, but that God is so good, that God is so perfect, the word teaches us that he cannot dwell with sin. And so God makes a covering for Adam and Eve, and he, he puts a new way of life for them, a life that means no longer living within the relational presence of God, a life that, as we read through the pages of the Old Testament, is now going to be marked by sacrificial systems and atonement. We were exiled from the world that God had made us to live into, and for thousands of years, humankind lived within this system where they would try hard, and they would do good, and they would fail, and so they would offer up sacrifices, and then they would try hard, and they would do good, and they would fail, and so they would offer up sacrifices, so on, until about 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. And when Jesus came, the Bible teaches that when Jesus came, he took the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders. He went to the cross. He became that sacrifice on our behalf so that we might have relational unity with God restored. But friend, for those of you within the sound of my voice who have ever felt like you're out of place, for those of you who have ever felt like Things just don't make sense. That if you express your beliefs, people disagree. That if you share a minor disagreement about something that means a lot to someone, you're now outcast from that friend group. You're weird. You're shamed for it. The reason for that is because we're not living within the system that humanity was originally designed to live within. We ourselves exist within some type of spiritual exile, and the only thing that can remedy, the only thing that can frame that for us, the only thing that can give us hope here on earth amidst this exile, much like we saw play out on this stage just 30 minutes ago, the only thing that can help us to make sense of that and give us hope to carry on amidst the hardship is faith in God. And that's why I started by telling you that God loves you that God knows you, that God desires to have a relationship with you. 
And friends, that that relational unity being restored isn't just something that happens when we die. It's something that we can experience here today, at least a piece of it. I would say it this way. Something big in my life going on these days is I am uh, walking my mom through end-of-life care. My mom has had cancer for 14 years. And two weeks ago at my sister's wedding, it got really bad. We had to like get her into the ambulance, into the hospital. And so now they're sending people home to the house. And my dad and mom live alone. All my family's like kind of moved on and, and doesn't live in California anymore. And so I find myself as a son spending about 36 hours a week with my mom as she receives care because her life will end soon. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Not the point. I'm not the hero of this story. Here's the point I'm trying to make to you. The point I'm trying to make to you is this. Cancer shouldn't exist. Death was not a part of God's original design for us. A son walking his mom through deathbed moments is not something that any of us were meant to experience, but we find ourselves going through these types of things all the time. I would venture to say that, that probably more than half of us in this room, depending on what your family background is, have parents who have been divorced. That some of us in this room have lost family members or friends through death that were very, very close to us. Some of you yourselves might have your own health journey or diagnosis that make you wonder how long your life would be. 72% of you statistically struggle with severe mental illnesses, things that make you wonder, who am I? How long should I be here? What worth, what value do I have? To which I say, you have divine worth and value. God loves you and God chose you, but why do we, why do we go through these things? We go through these things because we live in exile. This was never the plan. This was never the way things were supposed to be. And so one of the things that I've been doing with my mom as she's going through this end-of-life care is we've been talking about heaven a lot. Like it's such a surreal thing as a son to talk to your dying mom about if she's scared to die. Turns out she is. She's very scared to die. And so what I get to do as a son who, who also like understands a little bit at least of God's word is I get to remind her that like we have hope in heaven. That mom, when your heart stops beating, you get to be present with Jesus. And she, she says to me with the words she can mutter, tell me what that's like. Oh mom, it's free of pain. It's filled with joy. It's an eternity spent in the presence of a God who the Bible describes as the embodiment of love. And she gets a smile on her face. Friend, your home is not here. Your home is in heaven. And so how do we live as exiles here on earth while awaiting the home that the Bible teaches God has been preparing for us? Daniel can teach us a lot about that truth this week. Daniel's resiliency, Daniel's resolve, Daniel's faithfulness. You know what each of those things does in the life of Daniel? It helps him sustain his time in slavery and in exile. It lets others know that there is a God who loves you. And people around Daniel begin to, to hear about him and begin to experience the love of God because Daniel's going through a hard thing the right way. The last thing it does is it makes Daniel strong when he's alone. There's two moments in this story that we'll look at this week 
where calamity has come upon Daniel. One time in a furnace, one time in a lion's den. And we don't see Daniel crack, shake, or tremble. Why? Because Daniel knows whose he is. And Daniel knows who he himself is. So two things I want you guys to walk out of here with tonight, okay? The first, we're not meant to live here. If life seems hard, it's because it is. Second thing, the only hope that we have is found in Jesus. The only, the only thing that can help us make sense of this world that is very much in exile is Christ himself. And I'm so excited and so honored to get to walk us through the rest of this story this week. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for these students, for their attentiveness, for their hearts. God, I pray that as we unpack the story of your servant Daniel, who is very much real, who very much existed, I ask God that you would teach us more about your character. Give us hope and faith in a world that just seems just more and more turned against you, Lord. Would you help us to learn from Daniel to see how to make sense of what's going on in this life so that we can draw more near to you? We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.